0: Good morning, Wheaton Bible Church. It's so wonderful to see you all here and to be able to share this time with you. We find that when we work together, the musicians and the technical people and the pastoral staff, there's such joy in it. And one of our goals is to bring that joy to you. And with you, we worship God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So today we're exploring this beautiful, apocalyptic topic of the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Many of us have songs that we remember that tell that story. And some of those you'll recognize today. The memories of things past, the joy of the present, and the promise of the future. Amen? Amen. So would you please stand with me and we will read together this beautiful call to worship from Revelation. I'll begin. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord, who who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty and God's people said,
1: Let's just praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let's just lift our hearts in heaven and praise the Lord, let's just praise. to heaven and praise the Lord let's just pray
0: Seated. Because these seats aren't exactly designed for kneeling as, as it is in some church buildings, we're seated as a um, posture of humility in the face of this work that we do in worshiping God and of. And, in this portion of the service to confess our sins. So the writer of this prayer gives us words to say, and the goal is that we can find ourselves in it. Learn and lean. Would you pray with me together? Gracious and loving God, open our hearts so that we may be able to admit to you the fullness of our lives. That which is beautiful and good, and that which is hurtful and hateful. We confess that we do not follow Jesus in all that we do. We love with condition. We judge and condemn. We cast the first stone and keep the logs in our own eyes. We do not turn to you as the source of our healing. Forgive us, we pray. Forgive our sins and empower us to be the imitators of Christ in love and service. Amen. Christ, hear this
2: and know this. The mercy of God is from everlasting to everlasting. And I remind you of the surpassing grace
0: in Jesus Christ. We are forgiven. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: As a wisdom to children. Come as new sight to the blind. Come, Lord, as strength to my weakness. Take me Soul, body, and mind. Come, Holy Spirit, I need. Come, Holy Spirit, I need you. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come, in your strength.
0: My earliest memories of church were at the South Whiteford Evangelical United Brethren Church. That was the closest I ever came to being a Methodist. And I can remember noticing the organist Nancy Luce playing on the Hammond organ. I can remember the youth choir singing. Everybody ought to know. Everybody ought to know. Everybody ought to know. Everybody ought to know. Everybody ought to know know who Jesus is. Amen. So this morning we're going to bring back some of those memories. We've actually sung hymns and songs about God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And now we circle back with My God Is So Big, one of the all time top 10 Sunday school songs. And if you know the motions, join in.
1: My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do my god is so big so strong and so mighty there's
3: nothing but everything
1: new the mountains are his the rivers are his the stars are his handiwork too my god is so big so strong and so mighty there's nothing my god cannot do My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, my God can make everything new. He's called you to live for Him every day in all that you say and you do. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty.
0: My God can make everything new. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Will you be a sunbeam?
1: Why don't you stand as we sing this one together. Jesus wants me for a sunbeam to shine for him each day. In every way try to please him at home, at school, and play. A sunbeam, a sunbeam, Jesus wants me for a sunbeam, a sunbeam, a sunbeam. I'll be a sunbeam for Him. I will ask Jesus to help me to keep my heart from sin, ever reflecting His goodness and always shine for Him. A sunbeam, a sunbeam, Jesus wants me for a sunbeam. A sunbeam, a sunbeam, I'll be a sunbeam for Him. Spirit, come like the rain, till our fields are moist again. Spirit, rain, spirit, pour, till our fields are green once more. Spirit, come like the rain, till our fields are moist again. Spirit, rain. Spirit, pour, till our fields are green once more. Spirit, come like the rain, till our fields are moist again. Spirit, rain, Spirit, pour, till our fields are green once more.
2: Before you are seated, would you turn to your brother, your sister, and pass the peace of Christ to them?
4: church family. So I I have to start this segment and Tony, thank you. Uh, I knew Tony was going to have something uh, creative for us this morning because about a month ago I got a message from him and he said, Kyle, can you tell me the direction of your sermon for July 9th? And so when he was planning a month ahead of time, I knew he had something up his sleeve. So Tony, thank you, brother, for all the ways you lead us and for leading us this morning. Um, So at this time, I'd like to invite the ushers forward. And as a reminder uh, to you, church family, as we continue in worship, one of the ways that we worship is through the act of giving. financially um, and in our service and in our hospitality as well and so uh, as a reminder financially you can give online at wheatonbible.org give here in the services as the plates are passed or you can send your offering to the church office and ushers you can start passing the plates. And as our ushers continue to pass pass the plates, I want to recognize uh, a celebration, and in that celebration also issue a challenge to you. So are you all ready? I hope you're ready. Okay. So we celebrate first uh, something really exciting that's been happening uh, here at Wheaton Bible Church over the last year we are excited uh, that more and more people are choosing to join in worship on Sunday mornings at Wheaton Bible Church to the point where we need more services. Amen. That's a celebration, right? So you may remember a few weeks back we announced that there would be um, some new service times. You can see those up on the screen behind me so I don't have to go through them all. These are also available online. We'll have a bunch more announcements in the coming weeks too. Uh, So these will start August 20th and here's the challenge. Amidst this excitement of so many new people joining... Uh, we want to ask you to consider and pray about what you might do with both worship hours on a Sunday morning. So absolutely would love to be gathered in worship. And then would you pray about either joining an adult community, which meet throughout the morning, or serving in one of the many opportunities we have. Specifically, I know with uh, doubling these services, uh, kids' ministry, um, what a beautiful ministry in our church. Would just love to challenge you to consider that. Do you receive that, church? All right. We're all going to step up for August 20 and see everybody in worship and either engaged in community or serving together. All right. If you clapped, you're going to sign up. Okay? (laughs) Okay. Um, And so uh, to finish our our reflection on generosity and giving, I just have a couple quick updates. If you remember in June, we commissioned all these summer outreach teams. We had a stage full of everybody who was heading out uh, to serve this summer. And I just want to share with you that we have uh, a lot of exciting trips, teams around the world right now. Um, Just last week, uh, our high school team that was serving in Albania with our mission there. They got back. You're going to get more updates on that next week, uh, but they had a great time. They all want to go back, which is always a good sign. Uh, Mike, the team from Harvey made it back safely, I assume, because you're here. That's good. Excited for the updates there. Yesterday, a team of 35 people headed to minister at a First Nations community in Canada. They are driving today through Ontario, about to start ministry there this evening. And so we want to keep that team in our prayers. And then we also got an update that our team of 20 serving in Greece is wrapping up their time there. This is the last year of a more than 20 year project to get a new testament to every home in rural Greece. So that was 1.5 million New Testaments. Their goal this year with volunteers from over 40 nations, uh, 20 of them, uh, 20 of the volunteers from our church uh, distributed the final 177,000 Bibles to all of the homes. And so that project is completed. And we are so excited to see what happens in the years ahead from that. So we want to pray for how God will speak through his word to those hundreds of thousands of households uh, in Greece. And then also starting their journey home today, after a week in the Dominican Republic, we've had a team from Iglesia del Pueblo who's been serving uh, with Kids Alive Ministries in the DR for the last week. So a lot of exciting things going on. Let it spur all of us and all of our summer outreaches and all that God has before us. Amen? All right, church, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that we can uh, gather together and, as we gather and worship, have so much to to celebrate and praise you for and so, Lord, with the new service times approaching, we just We ask that you would continue to spur people on, the people of Wheaton Bible Church, to continue to be invitational, inviting people not just to church, but more importantly, to new life that is found only in you. So with these new service times, may just the warmest welcome uh, be extended to everyone visiting. We pray, Lord, that uh, people would take steps towards community, towards service, and welcoming all you are bringing Um, to our church family. And so, Lord, may we always be a welcoming uh, place, a place where you are glorified, um, where the hurting find hope, where the lonely find community, where the sick find healing, Lord, where people are pointed to you for your glory. And so, Lord, we pray for the results of this Albania team. For the Canada team about to start ministry tonight. For the Greece team as they wrap up the ministry. We pray, Lord, for the 1.5 million households. What will happen there, Lord? We're just excited to know in the years ahead as your word has gotten to those households. And for travel mercies over our DR team as they return, we thank you uh, for our missionary family who continues to invite us as their church home to serve alongside them in all that you are doing among the nations. And so, Lord, we pray over our church family, would you, our great shepherd, guide and guard and protect our church, Lord? Would this be a place where we are continually encouraged, Father? lifted up to you, sent out, excited for who you are to share who you are in everything we do and everywhere we go. It's in your most holy name that we pray these things and we thank you for the fellowship we gather together for this morning. Amen.
2: Church family, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning? Our passage is Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 28. If you have your journals with you, it's on page 134. Jesus left the temples and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and to be put to death, and you will be hated by the nations because of me. At that time, many will return away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of the most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judah flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. In those days have not been cut short. No one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and then perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east, is visible even in the west, so will it be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
4: All right, church family. Um, As we get started uh, after reading that passage, uh, maybe turn to the person next to you and just declare one word, whoa. Yeah, Quite quite a passage this morning, right? Um, I'm excited for this. I read through this so many times and, and, and went uh, and, and a lot of conversations. And what I love about what we're about to explore today is when you really look at the theme of this passage, there's a lot about tribulation and hardship. But there is so much hope to be found in the midst of it. And so this morning, um, we're going we're gonna to dive in. Uh, as you know, or uh, if you've been with us for a while, we're, we're about two-thirds of the way. We're uh, a little over a year into this year and a half study of the Gospel of Matthew, a deep dive. And so as we place a high value on the truth of the Scriptures and all God reveals to us there, um, these are the types of passages that we don't skip. These are the types of passages that we actually need to dive in and say, what is going on here? Uncomfortable as they may be, at first or second and even third glance. So in today's world... A lot of the words we can use to describe what's going on might be chaotic, tumultuous, filled with trouble, confusion, so many voices claiming to be the truth or the right way or enlightenment or self-actualization. We at Wheaton Bible Church believe that God has given us his word. Amen? So these are the types of passages that confront us modern people, and whether we like that label or not, we are with some uncomfortable realities. That Christianity is actually about so much more than we make it about sometimes. Sometimes. Our faith is more than just a tool in our tool belt to deal with this life. It's more than cherry picking a few verses to support our opinion on some topic. It's more than just steps to a better life or boxes to check. It's more. It's the story of God's faithfulness. And here's what passages like this show us Eternity and souls are at stake. This is weighty stuff. We don't get to define God. God defines us. And so Jesus meant for his words to confront, to challenge, to create our reality. And reality is, is that there is real evil in the world. There is real deception. People can be so easily swayed, deceived. There's trial, challenge, tribulation, trouble. And there will be a time... We believe when there will be a final judgment, the end of the world as we know it, and the coming of God's kingdom as we can only imagine it. So what we're going to do today is we're going to tackle this passage in three parts, okay? Three parts. Uh, The first, what Jesus said. I want to give context what he's saying. Second, why did he say it? And third, what it means for us today. So what Jesus said, why he said it, what it means for us today. Everybody with me so far? All right, good. So what Jesus said, what Jesus starts here, this... uh, this chapter, chapter 24, starts a discourse called the Olivet Discourse. It happens on the Mount of Olives. So it's called the Olivet Discourse. Um, The Mount of Olives overlooks the city of Jerusalem. This is a common stop actually on tours to the Holy Land uh, today because from this spot, you can look out over the whole uh, ancient city. And in the time Jesus is teaching, this would be a glorious view of the temple. You can't see it anymore because as our passage uh, discussed here, it will be completely destroyed. But at the time Jesus is talking, the temple from a visual, artistic, architectural standpoint is a wonder of the ancient world. It literally shone. Shone. There was gold everywhere. It was glorious. And we read from one uh, early historian where there wasn't gold. The polished stone was so beautiful and polished uh, that it looked uh, like uh, when the sun reflected off it, it looked like the fresh snow on mountains. So this temple was the pride of the culture at the time. So that's the setting. This is where Jesus... um, is talking from. So turn with me. We're going to walk through this passage little by little. So chapter 24 verses 1 through 3. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Now, we have parallel accounts of this discourse. They're found in Mark chapter 13 and Luke 21. The disciples there in those recordings remark even more at the beauty of the temple, how grand it is. And so in verse 2, Jesus says, do you see all these things? He asked. Truly, I tell you, not, st- not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Okay, Pause. This would be a major shock to the disciples. The stones are so huge and heavy, this temple that took 46 years and thousands of craftsmen to build would be utterly destroyed? There's only one thing that that could mean for the disciples at that time. They're like, that that would mean the end of the world. That would be cataclysmic. So they have the right questions to ask. Basically, they go, what? and when? Jesus, like this would be absolutely shocking. And the rest of the passage is Jesus's response, answering some of those questions um, and then not answering others, but with purpose. And I'll get to those. He says, here is all the trouble that is coming, intensifying events, wars, famines, persecution, rise of false messiahs, false saviors, deceitful teachers, etc., this is all that's going to happen and he speaks in terms of prophecy. So with texts like these, I see two major ditches we can fall into. I'm going to try to guide us not to fall into either and to walk uh, the road down the middle. The first um, is an easy one to fall into for those who, who love all the study notes in our Bibles and, and, and you should there's so much fascinating symbolism here, and it's of great interest. We're kind of talking about the end times here, right? Cataclysmic destruction. This is important. And we want to know what is going to happen, how is it going to happen, when, just like the disciples. But it's easy to go so far down the rabbit hole and get lost and miss the forest for the trees, right? Right? Pastor Phil talked about this last week, when he, he had the religious leaders of the time they knew the scriptures backwards and forwards, wore them on their foreheads in these boxes, which signified how much they had memorized. And here's the point: They had so much memorized, they went down all of those details and took such pride in all of it, but missed the whole point of the scriptures that were pointing to. Jesus. The savior that the scriptures were pointing to was among them. They missed the one who was greater than the temple when they were just glorying at what they thought was the greatness of the temple. They were so worried about temple sacrifice, they missed that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice the place where salvation is found. Acts 4.12 declares, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So, fascinating details. There's a lot that's going on here. But if we get all those details right and miss this, we've missed it. So the second, Is the other side to say, well, this is really complicated and this is really hard. And uh, Jesus says later in this passage, you are not really going to know the times. It's a mystery. And we just say, okay, and leave it aside. This is also not a good option because it's here, it's in scripture. We're in the final days of Jesus. Jesus took time intentionally with his disciples to say these things. So it must be important. Everybody's still tracking. All right, this first point, this is the hardest part of the homework. The second two points, uh, once we get through uh, this setup, really open up. So Jesus here, um, we can't get around his claims. He's talking about the son of man. He's talking about uh, when I return. So this takes off the table that Jesus was just a great moral teacher, a rabbi, someone to uh, follow for a time, or a good life philosopher. When he's claiming all of these things, we only have one possible answer about Jesus, He truly was the son of God, Messiah, Messiah, Savior, Lord, King, who came to earth was uh, to live, was crucified, died, buried, and rose on the third day, ascending to heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, having fulfilled to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to his followers to persevere, to remain steadfast in persecution, and to live out his mission to all nations until he returns again. That's true. We don't have any other option or view of Jesus when we encounter passages like this. So, okay, Kyle, these events of massive and worldwide significance, what is the timing of all this? What is Jesus really talking about? It's a good question. And this is one of the most debated passages in all of Scripture, because there are three common views of what this all means, okay? And this is the last part of kind of our, our deep dive homework. The three common views of what this all means. I'm going to go through them briefly. You can do further study if you want. But when Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple, the, the abomination of des- that causes desolation these times, the first view is a more historical view. It's commonly called the preterist view. This really surrounds verses 15 through 28. This view says, okay, Jesus was preparing for within a generation. So this, uh, many of these events or all of these events have actually already happened. Because what happened historically in the year AD 70 There was a Roman army that came in response to a Jewish rebellion. Uh, the war went from AD 66 to 73, and in AD 70, the army surrounded Jerusalem, like the passage says, and uh, they conquered Jerusalem. There was suffering like the Jewish people had never known before. History says there was a fire set in the temple, and the fire got so hot that all the gold melted in between the stones, and the Roman soldiers, in their greed to get at the gold, toppled all the stones, and what was the result? Temple utterly destroyed. As Jesus said, no one stone was left on top of another. That happened in AD 70. That's history. So that's the first view. The second is commonly called the futurist view. That view holds that what Jesus is primarily talking about here is more of the end times. For this view, um, the abomination that causes desolation here wasn't the pagan worship of the Roman armies historically. They said, no, we think this is uh, the Antichrist. Because we find in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, that the abomination, this ultimate sacrilege of the temple, is that the Antichrist would set himself up in that place of worship and be stealing the worship that belongs to God and God alone. Then there's a third view that responds to: well, which is it? The first or the second? And that view says, yes. kind of called a multiple horizons. What happened in AD 70 was a partial fulfillment or a fulfillment along the way to the final. So what I'm not going to do is tell you which one I think it is. Those are the three. Because here's what I think is really important for us to see. The debates are truly fascinating. I went fairly far down these rabbit holes in recent weeks. But here's what I see. Regardless of the chronology, regardless of the timing, what Jesus is saying, his goal is the same. Jesus here is concerned with the perseverance of his disciples. Is that up on the screen? Jesus' goal is perseverance. Another way to say it, he is more concerned with perseverance than he is with prophecy. Even though all the prophecy is true and he offers it, he wants to equip his disciples for perseverance. That is the theme of this passage. Brings me to point number two. So that's what Jesus said. Why does he say it? Perseverance. I really, really, really need you to hear this, church. Jesus, in verse 25, says, as he kind of finishes all these things to his disciples, he says, see, I have told you ahead of time. Why? Why? It's all the way through here so that they would be able to stand firm. Jesus says, This is what's coming. No matter when they come or how they come, I want you to be ready. Here's what you can expect. So, disciples, I do believe those were for his disciples then. I do believe they apply to us now. Here's what Jesus said was coming. Verse six, wars and rumors of wars. Verse seven, natural disasters, famines and earthquakes. Nine, persecution. Verses five and 24, false prophets, teachers will appear and they will be incredibly persuasive and deceitful and they will lead many astray. Verse 12, increase of wickedness and that increase of wickedness will cause love to grow cold. Whoa, again, right? But note how clear this is in the midst of all the craziness. What does Jesus not say? He does not say, freak out. He does not say when the storms come, just get everything that looks like it might save you. Anybody claiming for salvation, whatever your momentary comfort might be, just grab onto it and hold tight. No, he doesn't say that at all. He says, stand firm to the end. Remain steadfast, remain faithful, remain deeply rooted. Stand firm to the end. And his promise in this passage and all the way throughout scripture, the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So, he uses this interesting term here about all these signs. He says, these are, but when these are going on, these are the beginning of the birth pains. And you go, well, that's an interesting way to put it. But when you think about it, it applies, right? There's always signs uh, when someone is going into labor, I was thinking back to a couple years ago as as Joy and I were preparing to be parents for the first time. We have Liam, who's almost uh, three, Brighton, our baby daughter, who actually turns one today, her first birthday, which is awesome. Um, Back to Liam, first time going through labor. And throughout the day uh, before we, we went to the hospital, the labor pains had started. I asked my wife for permission to share this story, so don't worry. But throughout this day, I'm hearing from the kitchen and from other parts of the house, occasionally these deep breaths. I would hear a, and I'm going, what's like, is this it? is this what's going on? And they're going on, checking in. No, I'm fine. She's toughing it out through all of it. But then as the day goes on, those are becoming more frequently. And then there's some noises added to the deep breath in and out. And, and I'm going, Joy, um, are you having contractions? And she looked at me, and we're new parents, right? So we've taken all the classes, the online, we've done the books, we passed the quizzes and the tests. This is what happens. Like, these are the signs, get your go bags ready. We, it's 4 one right? When contractions are four minutes apart, they last for a minute and they've been going on for an hour. Then you go to the, it's the signs of the times. You go. And so I said, Joy, are you having contractions? And my sweet really tough wife, says, no, I'm not having contractions, but like every few minutes, I'm getting really bad cramps. <laughs> and my eyes got wide, to which I responded, um, cramps are the contraction of a muscle, at which point her eyes got wide too and I, okay, we are timing these suckers because the birth pains had started, right? Those were contractions and so we went to the hospital and we were kind of freaking out. It was the first time. And we thought, okay, well, we'll get there. This has been going on for a while. Well, labored for like 15 more hours. We don't know the exact times, But we know what the signs were, the contractions and how they were spaced out and um, what the doctors are measuring to know how much closer you're getting. And like birth, actually all of these things intensify the closer you get to the delivery. So these are the signs of the times we are in. Jesus was resurrected and ascended to the Father. And what we know for sure is that he will come back. So Jesus wants his disciples to be prepared, to know the signs of the times and to not be shocked by them when they come. So they can withstand false teachers and false prophets, be rooted in him, deeply rooted in his truth and not swayed by even persuasive teachers promising easier ways out of the trials. To endure persecution, to not be surprised by it. That when wickedness increases, especially among his disciples, to not let their love grow cold, but to let their love intensify in the midst of that. And to preach the gospel to the whole world in the midst of every trial. Turn with me. Here's the hopeful piece. After all of those challenges that are the signs of the times that are coming, Jesus declares in verse 13, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And he declares, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Trial will come persecution will come, hardness will come, wickedness will grow, and love will grow cold. Jesus says, do not be swayed by these things. Remain steadfast to the end. Preach the gospel to all nations. And so as I think about persecution, as I think about hardship in the church, I want to share with you the true church in history— The most thriving church in history has actually been the persecuted church. Disciples of Jesus who have counted the cost, and it is costly to follow him. In many parts of the world, this was true for the early church. In the first few centuries, Christians were used in the Roman gladiatorial games tortured for the amusement of the masses, fed to animals, to the laughter of brutal crowds. But in the midst of all of it, they were an alternate society. We read in the scriptures devoted to one another, to fellowship, to the reading of the scriptures, to the teaching of the word, to radical generosity, the likes of which the world had never seen before. And it was a love that was so counter to the wickedness of the ancient world. So when wickedness increased, the love of the Christians also increased. They did not let it grow cold. And it was so counterintuitive that one emperor who was trying to stamp out these Christians is what he called them. He says, um, what are we to do about these Christians? Much as, they, much as we try to stamp them out, they keep growing Not only do they take care of their own sick, but they take care of ours as well. That was a thriving church. That early persecuted church, based on that, devotion to one another, counting the cost, passion for evangelism and love of one another and mission grew into what is today the most diverse ethnically, linguistically, uh, socioeconomically, religious grouping the world has ever known. Amen to that, church. This is going on around the world today. I actually see that in the countries where Christianity became very um, very popular or very comfortable, are the places where the Christian faith has been in the most decline. In the places where Christians are most persecuted is the place where the church is growing by leaps and bounds. I've recently had some trips and been with uh, leaders from persecuted churches, and I have just been floored because here's what I see. The love of the scriptures in the places where the scriptures are outlawed. So, where owning a Bible is outlawed, do you see what treasure this is that we have on the backs of all of our chairs here, and that many of you brought maybe in many forms to church today? It's a treasure. And, and these believers, they know it's such a treasure that they're they're working to get uh, the scriptures into the hands of as many people as possible. I've been in places where there have been house churches and they're so persecuted that they are listening to illegal radio broadcasts that, that read the scriptures out loud slowly. That's the whole radio program so that these believers in these highly persecuted places can write out the scriptures and that's the scripture that they have and so when a Bible actually arrives in their hands they weep and they do the only thing they can think of and they kiss it because of the treasure that this is that's perseverance that's steadfast that's deeply rooted in the things that God wants us to be deeply rooted in in him So Jesus is more concerned with perseverance. The perseverance of his people. Point number three. What this means for us today. I argue with you today, as it has been for all of Christian history, God has given us all that the church needs to persevere. He stated it so well when he promised, he said, when I ascend, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And in the parallel passage of our uh, Matthew 24 today, that's in Mark 13, uh, Jesus actually says, when you're held up before people, uh, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. We read in Hebrews chapter 10, Let us, people, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Perseverance matters, and God has given us so much to persevere. The power and presence of the Holy Spirit. As I just said, his word. Does this take on new importance for you when you hear that? It should. Do you see how precious then the church, God's gathered people, is to Jesus? In all the craziness of the world that is coming, the Bible tells us the church is the pillar and the buttress of the truth, the place where we gather to worship the living and active God, to fellowship and encourage one another, to study his word, to grow deeper roots in him, to not be swayed by any of the falsehoods pervasive in our culture. Church, I want you to hear this. This is why who we are here matters. This is why our ministry matters. It's why our outreach matters, why evangelism matters, why forgiveness matters, our witness matters, how we in the church love each other matters. What's part of our perseverance? The love of our brothers and sisters in Christ to persevere Jesus said one of the primary ways the world would know that we are his is how we love one another. How we read and study God's word matters. So listen up. Church is more than good feelings on a Sunday morning. This is the place where we gather to worship, be uplifted in the Lord, receive instruction in his word, be equipped for every good work for the glory of God and to be sent out to the nations. This is why we talk about community and the priority of community. There aren't thriving believers in Christ who are lone rangers. We need each other. Perseverance matters. It marks the already saved. So I have news for you. Anyone who is loved by the world versus hated by the world might be the sign that they are more of the world than they are of Christ. Any church seeking as its aim to be loved by the world will end up very worldly, most likely having missed the otherworldly call of Jesus. So here's where I want to encourage you. The one welcomed by Jesus on that eternal day as faithful servant is the one who persevered, but who heralded the good news of heaven amidst all of the bad news of earth. Will that be you? Are you lost in all the bad news and missing the opportunity to herald the good news. So the time, even if we don't know all the exacts, the chronology, but the time we are in is perseverance time, faithfulness time, missions time. So how do we, those who are in Christ, church, respond to calamities, wars, famines, earthquakes, or all of the above? We don't be alarmed. How do we respond to persecution by either religious or authorities or secular Rulers. The Apostle Paul said it best, so I'm going to quote him here. Can throw the slide up from Timothy. In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Sound familiar to anybody? The beginning of the birth pains, the sign of the times that we're in? They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. With the Lord, the righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. That's for you. That's for me. And amidst all the bad news of the world, there is good news. Here is what I know for sure that's essential. That we can praise God. We can praise God because all who are in Christ at the judgment day will be judged on his righteousness and not our own. Let me say it again. All of those believers in Jesus, those who are in Christ, will be judged based on his righteousness and not our own. I went through scripture Again, so it's not just my declaration of this. Scripture uses beautiful imagery surrounding what this looks like. And I want this to encourage you, believer. This is the foundation and the deep roots of your endurance. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. In Jesus, we have an imperishable inheritance guarded for us. In Jesus, we are sinners saved by grace over and over and over again. In Jesus, clothed in righteousness. In the troubles and trials of the world, hidden in Christ. We read in Hebrews, made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus once and for all. And in the book of Romans, for I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that good news? Let's be a little more emphatic on that. Is that good news? In the midst of all the bad news of the world, that is the good news we are sent out to herald. That's you. That's me. Stand firm to the end. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. We praise you because the story of, of your interaction, your mission to your people is that you are faithful even when we are not. But what a precious and beautiful hope we have in Jesus, the righteous one. All we would ever need to persevere. So we pray, Lord, for your presence among us, for the power of your spirit, for the salvation only found in Jesus, so that through all things you will equip your church to persevere, to thrive. May it all be for your glory among all nations and in all eternity, Father. Amen.
3: The sky shall unfold, preparing his entrance. The stars shall applaud him with. The sweet light of his eyes Shall enhance those awaiting And we shall behold him Then face to face shall behold Him, we shall behold Him be face to face in all of His glory. His glory
2: Church family, we have the privilege this morning to give thanks and recognize Mike and Rachel for their years of service uh, in our student ministry here at Wheaton Bible Church. Mike and Rachel, it has been an honor and privilege to serve alongside of you. These last five years that you have uh, cared for our students uh, shared the gospel with them, discipled them, walked alongside uh, students and parents in, in countless uh, situations. The way you've uh, equipped and trained leaders to serve with you in the ministry, all the variety of things you've done from the fun moments of gaga ball and retreats uh, to all the things that you do behind the scenes in caring for our team. Uh, our church will greatly miss you and we want to thank you for these five years of service that you have with our, church. <clears throat> See, with our church. I'm getting choked up a little bit. But in the same note, uh, I am so excited for what God is going to do in and through your lives and your ministries as you transition down to normal. And so I, I, I believe you guys moved this past week, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a busy move. But I'd love for our church just to be able to pray for you and to send you off as part of our family. So church family, would you stand with us and outstretch your arms as we pray for Mike and Rachel and their kids as they make this transition to their new ministry. Heavenly Father, we have been blessed through the ministry of Mike and Rachel these last five years. And we give you all praise and glory and honor for what you've done through them. Lord, we thank you for their faithful service. And Lord, just as we heard from the message today, their perseverance in their own life and ministry here. Lord, uh, we may not even see yet the fullness of fruit that you are cultivating through the work of your Holy Spirit, through the seeds that were planted, the lives that were watered and the souls that were cultivated through their ministry, Lord. And so, Lord, even as it is a bittersweet moment, and, and we uh, uh, are saddened at their departure, Lord, uh, we rejoice in what you have and will do through them in this new ministry in Normal. So, Lord, we pray, pray, pray a prayer of blessing upon them, Lord, that you would. Uh, Keep them, Lord, that you would strengthen them, Lord, that you would protect them, Lord, allow their family to transition well, their children uh, uh, to make this transition well, and Lord, that you would give Mike and Rachel a fruitful ministry as for kingdom purposes as they go out. We ask these things in your holy name, amen. Thank you, Mike and Rachel. Church family, if you'd like to say a personal thank you to them, Mike and Rachel will be in the atrium after the service, but receive the blessing that God gives to us. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May his face shine upon us so that your ways be made known on the earth and your salvation among the nations. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent.